You are listening to Super Yacht Radio. And welcome to Super Yacht Radio and welcome to the crew mess where we are coming from Barcelona with our lovely Lucy Gardner all the way to Dublin where Maeve and Dave have relocated as this is the year for change for all of us and uh, Dublin was a good place to be landed. Lucy, lovely to have you back with us and chatting. I have I've, one of the, the silver threads through lockdown was uh, having shows with you during lockdown. It certainly brightened up the station for us. So how are oh, you doing? Thank you. I'm good. Yeah. And Barcelona is, uh, well, we're just going through a little mini lockdown again, but um, we're, it's still sunny. And um, yeah, lots of boats in town. I've been busy down there at the marinas the last couple of weeks. Um, lots of crews here, lots of stuff happening. So that's, that's different from lockdown. At least, um, you know, there's some, the city is more alive than it was. And um, yeah, still hanging in there. So yeah, <laughs> and to join you, know, you again this morning. It sounded like good news from Barcelona that, you know, the marinas are actually getting a lot fuller over the past few weeks, you said. Yeah, that's right. Um, the Bermudas in Barcelona are much busier than they have been. Um, boats coming in, obviously, for wintering. Um, some of them in the yard, getting ready for the to quick t- Caribbean season turnaround. So, um, yes, there is. And here and Tarragona, are um, very, very much busier than the summer months. So that's good news for everyone in Nottingham. Um, crews back in town, of course. It's a great city to be in here. And, um, yeah, we did have an event, shocking, a yachting event uh, a week or so ago. And that was nice to see some people turn out for dinner. So, uh Yes, we'll see what happens here in the winter. But again, sun's still shining and people still in reasonable spirits, all considering. So yeah, yeah. Good, good morning. It's, it's Dave here as well, uh, joining, joining the the group. And good to hear you, Lucy. Nice to uh, to have you on the air with us again. It's been a while. I wonder it has if it's been a while. It's been too long, too long. But we spoke with the boat during the week uh, on the Abnish Hour show, and they were talking about you know getting ready to to bunker down for the winter in uh, Tarragona or down at PTW I think they were and I was just wondering if the, and this isn't a question with it for an answer but I'm wondering if there's been a drop off of boats going over to the Caribbean you know given the uncertainty of of what's going on over there just yeah that's an interesting, interesting point actually yeah that's a really interesting point i've been speaking to a couple of crews myself and i think a lot of the charter vessels are banking on the caribbean season um, mm. because they had such a a, a short um, or, or non-existent med season and i know some of the larger vessels for sure of uh, are doing a quick turnaround to get the, the boat in, in in top shape and and, and making the crossing mm. for sure um lots of the charter vessels i think are, are crossing their fingers for the caribbean season so we'll course, see if we listen to the brokers uh, they're having a bumper season, both on sales and charters. So, um, fingers crossed. Hope it all goes well for them over there. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and I think that the lots of the Caribbean islands um, are making really good provision for boats mm. this winter season. So, fingers crossed fingers that they'll be cruising um, this winter. And I kind of wish I was there. I don't know about you guys, but I wouldn't mind a Caribbean cruise myself this winter. <laughs> we're, we're in Ireland. Of course we'd love to be there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anyone going to some kits, please let me know. I'm available. Can I just, uh, just kind of talking about the the industry, um, I wanted to follow up with a Wealth X report uh, that the COVID-19 wealth impact that was released recently. And, you know, it's certainly one of the things with talking, particularly with Kitty from US Superior Association and talking with Denison and a lot of different brokers, 
it, it's been this interesting mixture that boats have still been bought and sold um, hugely over the, the year. It's been quite a buoyant market, which is interesting because one would think a little bit like in 2008, 2009, that there would be an economic downturn in our industry. I spoke with Walter Smith on, um, uh, during the week on, uh, on his show. Um, we were talking about the, uh, the, the contrast because we are in a, in a financial downturn. However, it seems to be affecting the lower and middle income in opposed to the higher income. The higher income guys are still spending money. They seem to be buying anything that floats. Um, boats of all sizes, from you know, small family weekenders to the larger boats. The shipyards are saying their their books are full. They've got uh, orders coming in still, and uh, the charter brokers are saying, you know, they're they're selling charters. So there seems to be a big. Well, I think if you're going to take a private vacation. You know, when people want to talk about, you know, they're keeping their family units, bubbles, not to do lots of socialising. There's very mm. few safer places than the private boat. And I think that's what's moving the market forward. Also, that, that feeling of wanting to escape everything that's happening on land. <laughs> you get onto the scene, you do have that feeling of kind of freedom and not having to worry. And I think that the protocols that the crew are taking... The precautions, um, I was down at uh, Marina Port Vale earlier this week, had a really good chat with um, Antonella from BWA and Marina, um, who's a customer care service representative at MB92. And they are doing incredible things to keep the crews safe um, and the protocols on the boats. So I guess if you were going to book a vacation on a yacht, um, you're probably more likely to feel secure than you are to, to go to a hotel. So I think that's probably what's fueling the high luxury travel market is that feeling of privacy and safety. Yeah, well, can I just add a, a few facts to that? Is that um, according to this survey, it, the ultra high net worth wealth was, took a huge plunge at the start of the year in the first three or four months. It was down 28% in comparison to the end of 2019. In Asia in particular, um, they almost got wiped out of the space of the three months. However, uh, in comparison to the kind of down by 21 to 28%, depending where it was, by the time they got to the end of August, the combined net worth of the global ultra-high net worth population was down only 9% in comparison to 2019. And one of the things they have noticed, um, now, obviously, this is different in different parts of the world. Um, the UK, Spain, Austria, France, Israel are on top of the list for the 10 worst performing ultra high net worth countries by the end of August. On the other hand, looking at the parallel of, the, of luxury pur purchases, instead of cutting back entirely, a lot of them have continued to spend but have internalized them. So have um, reprioritized for safety and security, Real estate agents are seeing a big demand for high-end properties that are closer to nature. And although it doesn't refer directly to the superyacht industry... Sorry, it, could I just it, ask, when you say closer to nature, do you mean further away from people? Yes, you know, <laughs> lovely places in, in the countryside. Um, and equally, if we look at the parallel, it could be argued that you can get closer to nature than being on a superyacht. So there has definitely been... Um, uh, that, that's kind of the thinking of why the superyacht market has remained quite buoyant because um, people are choosing to, you know, get out to nature. 
And boy, may it remain. I think as well with the Caribbean season, the Americans haven't been able to travel to Europe. And so I think that we're going to look at a strong Caribbean season this year because the Americans can travel to the Bahamas and they can go to the Caribbean at the moment without most restrictions. So I think that all those people who didn't travel this summer um, are going to be good traveling this winter. And in, in that way that you said, in a, in a very exclusive way, away from others. Um, yeah. And like you said, there's a few ways you can do that better than on a boat. And also you have, the, you have choice. So if some islands close down, others will still be open. And so you're not, there's not that fear that in Europe, if Italy closes down, that's a huge part of the, of the cruising destination gone. Um, so you have that, that option as well. And then there's, there's other places I did see that the Maldives have uh, cut their restrictions. And so without the restrictions of quarantine and stuff, uh, they're having a bit of a boom in the Maldives. So there are certain places, I think, that have managed it very well and therefore are, you know, more enticing destinations. Oh, well, I wouldn't give for two weeks in the Maldives right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Oh, well, lovely. But when they went through their last lockdown, I remember a couple had gone there, they'd saved up all their money and they went on their honeymoon to the Maldives and then lockdown happened. And they ended up staying there for nearly a month as guests of the government. They put them up into a beautiful hotel. They gave them a suite. And they pretty much had the entire staff of the hotel just looking after them. And I thought, well, and they didn't charge them for it. You know, this was a courtesy. So I thought, oh, wow. What a wonderful way to start your honeymoon and continue it. <laughs> anyway, we're going to move on to a little bit of music and then uh, stay with us. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about a great new program that has been launched by Edmonston and UKSA. And it's looking at really putting their, their money where their mouth is and helping uh, a lot of young people uh, be able to train up into marine careers. And welcome back to the crew mess with Dave, Maeve and Lucy. Uh, I wanted to bring up what has been a really a great new project for our industry. Initiative, yeah. Um, There was a study done by the Prince's Trust. And any of you who have teenagers or young nieces or nephews uh, certainly know that at the moment, it's a really difficult time for younger people. Um, According to their study, one in four young people claim that their future career prospects have been damaged. This is in the UK. This is based in the UK. But I, I think it's probably reflective of many places in the world. And almost half of them said that they feel it's harder than ever to get a job. 43% say their anxiety levels have increased. And a third say they're overwhelmed with feelings of panic and anxiety. And almost half say they don't feel in, in control of their lives. I mean, it, it's sort of startling statistics, but I'm sure we can all understand it. Even for those going into college, it is a, you know, challenging time because it's not the usual kind of experience of university for those, particularly those starting out. So on this uh, fax, the UKSA and Edmonston have launched a new inclusivity program for 1,200 young people, mainly from disadvantaged backgrounds, to help them get into the soupyard industry. It Really, I mean, I'm, I'm really, really impressed with how they have uh, put this together. We will be talking a little bit 
later this week with Ben Willows, who's the chief executive of UKSA, and find out more about this. But Edmundston have put aside 120,000 euro uh, pounds, excuse me, uh, to deliver training and education opportunities run by the UKSA for more than 200 young people a year. Uh, their five-year goal is to raise one million pounds and see 1,200 young people from around the globe be able to find a career in the maritime sector. And they will be beginning uh, this October with an initial selection of students to attend a five-day Sea Change Foundation course. I just I love, love this. this. I do. I, I think love it's this. really, really wonderful. I think our industry has been talking so much about diversity uh, in the last twelve months. Particularly, there's been a lot of focus on bringing in, uh, you know, inclusivity in an industry which, you know, let's be honest, it's not got it's not got a, a great amount of diversity. But this, I think, is exceptional because, of course, maritime careers for lots of people, especially people from disadvantaged backgrounds, they wouldn't even think about it. They wouldn't even, lots of them don't live anywhere near the sea for the starters, you know, a lot of inner city children. I mean, they don't have that connection with the water. Um, and also they wouldn't even consider that they would ever be able to, um, you know, step on any of the vessels that kind of run our industry, these huge multi-million pound vessels. I mean, it doesn't even seem like a pipe dream for lots of people. And the idea that they're being educated and have given an opportunity to see how the industry works and be able to step into that is fantastic. And that Edmiston of supporting it, you know, one of our, the biggest brokers brokerages in the world fantastic news and a big jump from them i don't see any of the other brokerages um doing something similar it's, it's also fi financially unreachable for a lot of these kids i remember phil wade who's based in Mallorca, there's a, a very similar initiative with kids in south africa um and they it, not to the same volume i think they they bring about six kids a year and 68 up to palma to get a two-week to four-week experience of the super-yacht world. Yeah. He raises the money by the big bottle of wine party uh, every year. And donations. And people. donations and raffles. But one of the, the, we spoke with a few of the kids from it on air, and one of, one of them was telling us that for most children, for, for most families in South Africa, unless you're, you're white and privileged, or in the rare case, uh, black and privileged, Getting into super yacht world, getting the STCW, it's it's just far too expensive. So they, they just they don't even think about it. It's out of their reach. And so an initiative like this, where um, financially they could get get help and training to get their foot on the on the passerelle, is is super. Yeah, I think it's particularly fantastic that you know, that the, the, the eyes are being opened to industry that, you know, like you say, not even the STCW, but I mean, how many industries are there where you actually have to invest in all of the tickets before you can even step on? I mean, that mm. really does kind of cut down the opportunity for so many. But even the idea that, to, to what I think is fantastic is, educating younger people in lots of different parts of the industry not just to be crew but you know this initiative looks like it's also telling people about you know just the maritime industry in general i think it's wonderful that they're that open up to everybody yeah absolutely and i think they are raising money aren't they Eberson, um the Eberson foundation are doing that through just giving um i think you can go there and uh, if you wanted to, to to get involved with that you can do that through their just giving page um with the uksa and and the key partners like the prince's trust be fantastic do they have a just taking page? I'd be interested in that one. <laughs> I think we all would. Might write to them and just suggest that. Well, can I broaden the concept? Because we had a lovely chat uh, during the summertime with the 
the Marine Association of South Florida. And one of the drives they had done was to do a, a series of videos to help oh, young yeah, people yeah. understand about all the different jobs in the maritime sector. I mean, certainly in the Supion industry, we, you know, kind of focus on crew jobs. Carpentry and... Yeah, just to, to kind of demonstrate to them the broad scale of different work that you can get, whether it's in the painting or carpentry or... Welding. Welding or, you know, in, in the States equally, it's a huge industry, which has, you know, been very much the driving force of the U.S. Supion Association is to make the government aware just how many people are employed from the knock-on effect of super yachts being built, even yachts being built. And, you know, just kind of broaden the concept that there's a lot of different opportunities out there that many people wouldn't consider. Absolutely. And it's much as, as much as young people being educated in that, I think, you know, for where I live, for sure, in Barcelona, is the wider population in a way needs to be educated about how many people are employed, really highly skilled people employed by our industry. I mean, it's incredible when you, when you see how that, the knock-on effect of that through a city. I see that especially here since, since the, the large vessel hub has been developed in Barcelona, how many people are actually employed locally and, and fantastic training opportunities for kids. I think it's, 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 equal, it's more important as well because the industry gets um, gets really knocked in the media. And the, the, the perception is, oh, these are toys of the 1%. And th they focus on, on that as a s separating thing. Um, and there's not enough said about uh, the, the, you know, the breadth of, of jobs that are created from you know, carpentry, fitters, suppliers, um, services, etc., and, and see the industry as a, a, a very inclusive industry in creating thousands, hundreds, tens of thousands of jobs worldwide. Um, and there's not enough focus made on that. So I think, you know, on that side, it's. I completely agree with you. I think that's a bit, <clears throat> I think it's a big deal that there isn't enough focus on <clears throat> the amount of families that are supported and fantastic engineers <clears throat> and designers, these really skilled, highly skilled people, um, you know, that, that make sure that there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of others built, uh, employed once during a build. Yeah, exactly. It's not just the one percenters. Well, on that very topic, after a little bit of music, I would like to share with you a little bit of the findings from Genova of the socioeconomic impact of super yachts in you know Genova. the name Jane comes from Genova? I did not know that. Didn't know that, did you? You have no. a sister called Jane. I do, indeed. It's, that's where the origins of Well, it, yeah, as many of you, you know, the... Um, 60th Genoa International Boat Show was on earlier this month and it was really the only boat show to be happening in Europe. Europe. We had two in America. Uh, this autumn. It's mm. the first one so far this autumn. Uh, they did have an official TV channel and stuff and uh, had some interesting things coming up. There which is we'll a, talk about when we come back. Which we will music. share with you when we get Let's back. Stick with us. Thanks for uh, choosing Super Yacht Radio. We will be back in a few moments to the crew best. We were talking before the break of music a little bit about the 60th Genoa International Boat Show, which was on earlier this month. And can I just say well done to them for pulling off a boat show? There haven't been very many this season for anywhere in the world, although there was the um, Steel Point Boat Show in Bridgepoint Harbour Marina that we got to 
uh, chat with Kitty and a number of wonderful people from that boat show. It was extremely well organized, a VIP event, and did extremely well. But there was an amazing amount of logistics put into it to try and keep it as a safe place, like thermal sensors as you came in and uh, monitoring, making sure that people were socially distancing. I don't know the details. There have been a few smaller events, haven't there? There was the, the cluster yachting Monaco winter edition, another kind of small gathering. Um, I think there's been a few invite-only comes shipyards have done sort of VIP invite-only viewings. But yeah, like on, on, on boat show of, show of scale, we haven't really had one in Europe apart from the one at Geneva. Exactly. Um, of interest to me was uh, a boat called Mambo that was presented at it. And it was a motor-powered trimaran six and a half meters but it had kind of a very cool manufacturing process because they had a production system that creates um creates their components via 3d printing printing, Mm. which you know we've heard about 3d printing for ages um and i certainly have seen a little bit of it coming up but it would be interesting to see whether i'm going to try that on my hp inkjet (laughs) (laughs) i don't think it would work (laughs) no i don't think so uh, however, it go. <laughs> where I was going with this was actually uh, following up from our discussion beforehand of the impact our industry has. Uh, Genova for Yachting um, produced a socio economic impact of soup yachts in Genova. And uh, when they looked at the entire supply chain, they measured up that the economic impact for Genova was 369 million euros with an impact of 2,000 jobs and a contribution of 133 million to the GDP in 2019 alone. If you compare that to FLIBS, which has a local economic impact of uh, 1.2 billion, Yes. And of course, Flips is going to be going ahead, as far as we all know. Their Fort Lauderdale boat show is yes. going to be happening at the end of November. Yes, that's, uh, that's, that's really created a, a, a very polarizing as to those who think, yes, it should go ahead, and those who think, no, what are you doing? There's been quite a bit of debate mm. about it. Um, I do understand from the Floridian perspective what a huge impact it would have not having the boat show. And they have, I mean, they have been working. We talked to them back in June time where they were already putting in place what measures they could put in, restricted numbers, um, thermal scanning, you know, touch payments. But anyone who's been to Flibs, it is just such an enormous, enormous show. It's very difficult to visualize it without, I mean, obviously with restrictions of travel, you will not be having the same amount of international um, people there. A lot of people will be re- represented by their American counterparts. We saw the or same offices. in Geneva. Um, the, if you went through the the companies that were showing there, ninety-five percent were Italian-based. Yeah. yeah, it's very interesting. And also the Dubai International Boat Show is very much um, looking to go ahead. And having spoken to some of my colleagues in Barcelona, there seems to be a lot of traffic um, boats moving from a, a Spanish or, or, or a Western Mediterranean uh, home port now going over to the Gulf um, as a new safe destination. So that's really interesting. And um, as far as I know through my contacts, that the, the Dubai International Boat Show, which is now also going to be the Abu Dhabi show, I mean, they're around the same dates and 
the Grand Prix are all going ahead so far. And so we'll see that goes ahead at the end of November. But so far, that's where it looks like. I guess those more localised shows, is, like you said, with, with Hanover, mostly Italians, it's going to be that way now for yeah. the foreseeable. However, uh, just looking a little bit further away, the, they have just announced uh, uh, at the end of last week that the Hong Kong Yacht Show, which was due to run from the 19th to the 22nd of November, um, has been cancelled. Andy Treadwell, who runs the oh, Singapore yeah. Yacht Show, is the CEO. And there was a lot of uncertainty whether they could do it or not. So with the agreement of most of their exhibitors... Um, they have just decided to postpone the show to 2021. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I'll, there's also a couple of companies doing um, local, localized Spanish companies. Um, for for uh, from from my perspective, and and you guys will know, are doing online boat shows, um, and doing them in a slightly different way than what we saw earlier in the year, in a little bit more of an organized way. Uh, we've got the Balearic Yacht Show coming up. There's also a Valencia Yacht Show coming up. That are all going to be online um there's going to be meetings scheduled um, not just the boat boat walkthroughs that we saw from the kind of uh, virtual yacht shows that were kind of cobbled together right at the beginning of this covid crisis so it's going to be interesting it's going to be an interesting winter season for us um boat show attendees even if it's going to be in a virtual way yeah mm. well i also saw that uh, the greek yachting association are debuting their first virtual charter yacht show um or they had put it online at the end of last month but I haven't actually myself gone to a virtual boat show and I would be interesting, interested in the feedback of how the experience is. You know, you, you're not really getting the it's live like a, it's, experience. It's a bit like a long distance relationship. <laughs> You've got it, but you're just not there. <laughs> Well, I think now that we're all so much more used to using, you know, the video conferencing, the Zoom, the Skype to talk to people and meet people, that perhaps, you know, we've everyone's kind of gotten into the swing of that a little bit more and we're all kind of a bit more used to it, that perhaps, you know, if we can't meet our colleagues at boat shows from across the world, maybe we don't have a choice but to do business like that for a little while. So it'll be interesting to see if they do actually bear any fruit, those shows, for the exhibitors and also, you know, for the, ultimately for the sales of the, of the vessels. I, I think the thing you can't, and I agree with you, you know, we are used to these, these meetings and, and hooking up on, on video, but these are all scheduled things. And I don't, I don't know if anybody's ever tried to quantify the unscheduled meeting that translates into a business. Um, the guy who goes to a show um, not intending to buy anything, but sees a boat and goes, yeah, I'd like that. And I've spoken with brokers and they've said, you know, we do get the, those passers-by who've just come to have a look. No intention of buying anything. And, you know, one guy was described as wearing a T-shirt and a pair of jeans, swigging a bottle of beer, came up to the passerelle and a week later, they closed on a 60-meter with him. Wasn't there the great story when we had our catch-up with, um, with Kitty and Fedship and Burger? And yeah, this was the guy who was telling us about the... Yeah, and, and another was a, a dog, you know, a guy walking his dog. And uh, that interaction ended up in a boat sale. That was, uh, that was Burger Boats. Yeah, Burger Boats. Yeah, that was, actually, that's the story I heard originally from uh, Diane. Ah, mega, mega yacht news and but a lot of the, the shipyards i mean one of the things they were saying was in some ways boat shows can be very distracting because their focus is on the end client where you have so many passerbys 
that it can be very distracting. So, I mean, you've probably seen this as well, uh, Lucy. There's a guy from Ferretti, Amos, CEO Ferretti. Amos and Horizon Yachts, they've done this invitation-only show that they have kind of a two-day event of just very specifically inviting people to come and see their boats in a particular marina. And, you know, it's invitation only. So it's, it's a very focused end client invitation type show. I think that was kind of very, very similar to what they were trying to do at Libra for those years, but on, on a slightly larger scale. I mean, I definitely think that the VIP invite shows are great if you're if you're a buyer of 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 a, of, of a diamond yacht and or a, you know whichever brand that you like, and they invite you to come and view them. Fantastic, you know, it's uh, if you're already if you're already a, a client, and I think that's a great way. But it's very difficult, I think, to attract new clients to those sorts of. You don't think you have to be very, very, you know, you can't just be a browser and then decide what you like. You'd have to be very specific. I guess that's to do with the brokerages knowing their clients the best though, isn't it? So that you could get mm. invited to the yard. Um, well, but yeah, I think you're right. You know, just to see, to see something at a show and fall in love with it. I mean, there's nothing quite like that, is there? Yeah. Um, the, the, I was thinking of the, the CEO of uh, Ferretti Group, whose name escapes me, but we were talking with them and he split it in, uh, into two. He said that those who are coming for business and you've got the ice cream liquors. And <laughs> you know, they were looking at possibly doing their own Ferretti show with, you know, they've got enough brands un under their umbrella to be more focused on business than this focus on ice cream liquors. I'll leave you with that thought before we go to music. Fun fact. Would you like a fun fact? It was a fun I fact. love a fact. <laughs> Rev Ocean. Um, the 180 plus meter Goliath that's, um, I suppose, in the finishing touches stage, has just had the front pane of glass put into the observation lounge. The front pane of glass is 11.2 meters by 2.8 meters, and it weighs four and a half tons. Wow. Isn't that a fun fact? Four and a it half is, and it's tons. And she's going to be the biggest boat in the world when she eventually sets sail and, and offers sea trials. And, she's, and also, yeah. another fun fact about that particular ship, I've got one too, just quickly. Oh. It's going to be the only fully serviced scientific vessel that's open to the general public. Really? Wow. And well, yeah, the they just put technically advanced boat on the water. I'm not surprised. It's going to be fascinating when it, mm. when it, when it launches. I, I have so, to say, yeah. I love this project. I just think it's incredible where, you know, somebody... I'm not going to say his name very well, but it's we Kiel Inge Hoke. It's, it's got consonants, which <laughs> we shouldn't don't exist know in a word. Kiel Inge Hoke. The very innovative Norwegian businessman who has put this all together. On behalf of Super Yacht Radio, I'd um, like to apologize to him for what we've just done. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when we got to talk with him last year, it you know, we, we, we're looking at the boat, but he's got bigger plans. He's got, you know, an, uh, a superstructure building which is going to be the focus point of bringing bringing in research and scientific uh, conferences from all around the world it's looking about a at 60 floor skyscraper that hasn't that, been built yet that, that, but that they were looking for they, they thought they had a place but it fell through um and they're looking at a giant data center to bring together all of the um the, the data collected by loads of different scientific groups um, and try to centralize the whole thing. It's it's a hell of a project. 
and it's it, incredible a world ocean yeah. hq and um you know they're going to be doing they're going to be doing the research um and an expedition that like nobody else it's going to be fantastic mm. when she launches next year very very excited about that one yeah me too and with that we shall leave you to a piece of music and uh, please stay with us we will be back shortly with uh, some more news and roundup of what's going on in the super yacht world this is super yacht radio the crew mess back in a moment we are talking about well old ships new ships ghost ships what? Ships, small ships, <laughs> fat ships, skinny ships. What, <laughs> Sounds like a rap song, doesn't it? What came up in the news last month was about um, the Mayflower, which was launched from Plymouth in the UK on the 16th of September and was to travel to Plymouth, Massachusetts. It's not the 1621. Um, this is it's not the original one we're talking about. No, it's not the original. Old name, new concept. Thank Same you. Same destination. Uh, <laughs> This is really a pretty cool looking um, research ship. It's fully autonomous. And I believe this was the first uh, fully autonomous journey. It is a, um, a trimaran, I believe. And it has uh, no captain and no crew. It has a, um, basically, they, they, it's a small, lightweight boat with just enough local power, computing power, for the ship to operate independently and without even connectivity or remote control. And then when connection becomes available, the system sync with the cloud, enabling updates and data uh, upload. Actually, they managed to map over a thousand square kilometers of ocean floor. Already, which is, since uh, its launch. Yeah, they, they had a, an unscrewed surface festival, a USV, which after 22 days of remote, it's a 12-meter uh, kind of submersible, and after 22 days of remote survey operations, it, uh, it mapped over 1,000 square kilometers of uh, continental, European continental margin. Very impressive. It is. I think it's really impressive and really interesting for you kind of collecting all that kind of meteorological data for all of the you know kicking and go through dangerous storms without having to worry about you know the crew but i mean an ai powered captain for me is just the strangest thing ever i mean i guess that the the, the machine learning learns the sea in such a way but doesn't have to think about danger but it's pretty strange no to the idea of a, a vessel well, crossing without a crew do you know this i mean this one kind of links in what we were talking about Reve ocean because it has this state-of-the-art hybrid wind solar panel with a diesel generator backup. It was created within six years, which is pretty cool. Um, however, if you look into it a little bit further, autonomous sh ships are posed to um, possibly reshape the maritime industry. And economists are predicting that this market could be worth $120 billion by the year 2030, which is, you know, 10 years' time. Uh, and it's the tipping point. I think for a lot of people who are working in the maritime industry, it's got to be a little bit like when, uh, just to do an analogy, when our supermarket started getting your, you know, digital uh, swipers for your groceries. Oh, um, check yourself out. Are, are there going to be a huge amount of people that are no longer going to be working? I don't use the check yourself out things. No, no I, I don't, don't like them either. <laughs> so, for some of us. I don't trust myself. It's because it just takes out. longer. 
It does, and it I get paranoid. I, a person. I, I get paranoid in case I forget to swipe something, or you know, I just I don't like the experience. I prefer somebody else to just take control of my shopping and do it. Uh, the other big uh, concern of it, uh, cyber attacks. Yes, cyber yeah. attacks, because if there, we had a very interesting discussion this week with IMSA. Um, well done, with uh, Corey. Uh, who is a specialist in cybersecurity and also with Melissa. Um, and we were talking all about cybersecurity. And I think this is uh, for, I mean, there have been already uh, a number of very big cyber attacks. And particularly if you look at the bigger ships, the danger that could happen if the automation uh, system is manipulated in some way um, could really have well, catastrophic you know, ship collisions, groundings, uh, collateral groundings, damage from You've got like ships this. that are carrying chemicals and, you know, a bad actor takes control of those. You could have whatever, a, a floating bomb. Um, and the other side of it as well is the military is testing out at the moment, the American military, are testing automated vessels carrying machine guns, missiles, weapons. And the potential for a cyber attack on one of these, if somebody takes control of one of these, uh, that's an extremely dangerous situation. They, they could turn that on a city or another boat or whatever, and that, that could be devastating. Well, so, this is where I'm, I, one of our points of our discussion was about the IMO regulations, the International Maritime Organization that they are, you know, now trying to take a more active role in understanding how to address the safety and security. However, um, with the they, guidelines for 2021, the guidelines. However, uh, my impression was that they're coming a little bit late into the game. They're not really yet on top of exactly where we are, and I'm sure autonomous shipping. Uh, they did start a putting whole that, another level to the it. IMO did start their initial draft back in 2016. So they're, they're a bit of a tanker. They don't move very, very quickly. And, but, you know, it's, it's at least they're getting into the game. So, yes, they might be late. Many would argue uh, far too late. But at least now going forward next year, uh, boats, vessels of all shapes and sizes will, you know, under IMO and SOLAS and ISM, will be required to have a cyber defense strategy, be aware of their cyber vulnerabilities, and have um, a, a plan of mitigation and recovery. So at least there is uh, steps being taken, and not perfect, but uh, it's, it's, and again, it's going to be down to the different flag states as to how they interpret and how they, what they demand of the boats that are flagged under their their flagging can so. i say just on on a positive side of autonomous technology is the um development of two vessels um with eu horizon 2020 granting of 20 million and they are um kind of going to be next generation autonomous ships that are going to allow for safer and greener transport in Europe in the next five years. One is going to be operate around, along the Norwegian coast in fjord areas, and the second is a pallet shuttle barge along European canals to transport goods to and from large container ports. 
and their claim is that these the autonomous barge can take about 7,500 trucks off the road each year, which, if you look at environmental impact, would be huge. Well, I think that anything that we can do to help our environment is great. And I think the one thing that's wonderful about these autonomous ships is the way that they are kind of collecting data for oceanography and, you know, being able to uh, see the levels of microplastics and and be able to take even more cars off the road and ship them through our barge system, you know, which already exists or the canals through Europe. It's fantastic. Not used enough, the canal system, and it's been there for hundreds of years. And I have great memories. I mean, even as a kid, I remember barges going down with horses pulling them. That's how old I am. <laughs> I was going to say, you're really showing your age. <laughs> oh, <no>. the <laughs> and I think if we want a healthy environment, we should have an annual lockdown. You all saw how, how, how that helped the environment. <laughs> yes. Dave was, I'm, I'm was one of the people who really, really enjoyed lockdown. Everybody is... You said annual lockdown, but we're still in 2020, so we don't need another one just yet. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> well, we're facing one here in Ireland. Uh, they're deciding today whether or not we're going to lockdown as a nation so we shall see if my christmas comes early but uh, i think that's some of it i think i'm alone can can we get the numbers down so that we can all celebrate christmas unfortunately if you have an eight-year-old who is very much excited about halloween Mm. it's a little bit disappointing however bob the apple and halloween games and pumpkins can can still be carved they'll give her sweets every time she does it There we go. We got a plan. So, a little uh, time for a bit of music, and I'm going to grab a cup of tea. And when we come back, we'll uh, bring some more news and updates from our industry. You're listening to the Crew Mess here on Super Radio. Welcome back to the Crew Mess. Thanks for uh, staying with us. We are going to talk about a new initiative. It actually shares its name with the the show here, the Crew Mess. And uh, to tell you all about it, Maeve. Well, I, actually, I, I have to hand over to Lucy because you found this first. Uh, it's I did. A- That's right. It's um, our, our, our good friends at Nautilus um, a couple of days ago uh, put out a really interesting um, release about uh, a new website called The Crew Mess, um, which, yes, got a great name. But it, uh, this time, um, rather than just bring... Uh, audio support like we are they're actually doing proper support for drug and alcohol service support service for crew um it can arrange intervention on board a vessel it can inter- uh, arrange um counseling uh, really really important um as we know in our industry um to be able to support people like this but especially in the last you know eight or nine months of this covid crisis i'm sure that um these problems have become you know as in every industry and in every walk of life these problems have become more prevalent so fantastic that there's actually a service the crew mess who are, are really helping with that and um you know these this well-being of crew has been um kind of top of the list i know that you guys have been doing lots of chatting with with people with surprising support services but there's been nothing so far that's been specific for drug and alcohol um, and this service is no and i think one of the the points made from this that uh andrew roach who's the director of the crew academy and um a strategic partner with nautilus said you know after it went live on the 13th of october they were inundated with messages of support from captains and crew saying thank you long time coming and, you know, equally, they had hugely personal stories of lockdown time on board, of um, sadly drug rape, sexual harassment, bullying, illegal dismissals, and lots of stories the world over of drug and alcohol addiction during the time. Equally, there were some amazing stories about crew and management companies who have come together to help support each other and individuals 
um, during this pandemic time. But, you know, we, we've done, uh, we've had a lot of talk of mental health. We've certainly talked to a number of people and had discussions about mental health. But um, mental health is a huge topic. And drug and alcohol addiction is, you know, it, it needs a specific type of help and focus. Um, and I applaud them. Fantastic that they have a that they have a support this, now. This is very soon after the the initiative they launched um, only several months ago. The Eyes One yeah. support helpline, which is you know support help time for all the maritime community and for um, mental health in general. In opposed to addiction, so it's. Uh, but I, very I think proactive. you know one of the take-home messages of this is uh, don't wait until you or your crew member hits rock bottom before intervening, and don't think assume that you can be strong enough to get sober or clean. Um, if you fail to do it once, then you may well fail again unless you have uh, support to help you through it. So. Yeah, and an absolute necessary um, for crews who are battling these problems and also that they're supported so that they can recover and get back to work. The important yeah. bit is, is that these things are recoverable. So I think that uh, wonderful that um, there's another, uh, another company um, bringing this sort of to the fore of mind. And, and uh, yeah, the Crew Mess, that's a name that no one's going to forget, so you can find yeah. it and also crewmess.org. It is a free of charge two-stage intervention service. So it isn't something that you have to worry if you don't have enough money right now that you can, you can manage, you will be able to manage it because they're providing the service for you. Yeah, really fantastic service. So well done them. And if you need them, you can find them at thecrewmess.org. Back on the crew mess here, we, we have a very cool new initiative where we will be talking in the next two weeks with the inspiration for this. And uh, I believe he's actually a friend of yours as well, Edward Thomas, yes. known in the industry as the director of Jim Marine. He's got two first names. He does. Yes. Uh, Nothing to do with the subject. I just thought it was interesting. <laughs> he's got two first names. Well, um, and, and it's called the Green Wings Challenge. Um, how, how cool is this? It's very cool. They're aiming to uh, offset all of the travel that the industry does um, by carbon offsetting. So it's, it's really, really clever. And, um, and it seems that like everyone's jumping on this. And lots and lots of companies have gone ahead and, and joined the Green Wings Challenge and, and paid out their carbon uh, footprint. Um, I think, did you say they, what, the idea is that they want to go offset 3,844,000 uh, to fly even, to the moon and back? Uh, even more than that, 7,688,000 kilometers to fly to the moon and back 10 times. Uh, however, they have already built up. I, I got a chance to talk to him last week. We will be having him on air, as well as Rachel, who is from Yacht Carbon Offset, to tell us more about this and where the money is going. What really amazed me when I was chatting with him, you know, he's, he was talking about this coming up as a concept during lockdown. And he said, you know, when he tallied up his flights just from 2019 for yacht shows and, you know, industry events and whatever, he realized that uh, from the 38 flights he took, it amounted to about 10 tons of greenhouse gases. And then when he offset his emissions, and this is what I didn't realize, is how cheap it is. So to offset the emissions for him personally on those 38 flights, have a guess how much it was? 50 pounds. 
I'm not going to you. 95 pounds, which is just nothing for 38 flights. Yeah, not not bad. I thought it would be a lot more. And and that's what he said. For a lot of people, they presume it's going to be expensive. But 95 pounds in comparison to the 38 flights you took is really is really nothing. Now, I used to think that carbon offset was that they would take that 95 pounds and plant a few trees in, in Finland or something. I spoke with Avanish Dal from PTW, and he's from India. I can't remember the area. And he was saying that uh, some of the money from carbon offset goes into, uh, he was saying in his local village, is changing people from cooking with fossil fuel, burning wood or whatever, uh, to a non-carbon-based cooking system. And so it's it's even going down to small little initiatives that are improving lives of people in you know, small villages in, in poor countries and getting them to change over their habits from fossil fuel burning to more eco-friendly cooking process. And so you're helping those people, you're helping the village, village and you're offsetting carbon. So it's it's... It's really a great, uh, um, great idea. Essentially, it's two euros per thousand passenger kilometers. It is nothing. That's nothing. No, that's why I'm. I'm really looking forward to chatting with the two of them. The airlines should add this onto the price of a ticket because you wouldn't really, you know, if, if your ticket's ten euros versus twelve euros, not really going to worry yeah, about. No, it. I'm really looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to finding out more because I, I think understanding where that money goes, even though it's not that much money. But if we all did it, it would. It you can't really even buy a up. bag of chips for two two euros, as I discovered. <laughs> as you have discovered. <laughs> and I completely love that the industry has taken this um, on the way that they have, and I can see a list of some of the companies here that have done this. Um, our friends A Crew have done it. Uh, Wyco, uh, Raymond Lantern Design. Um, there's been lo- lots and lots of companies. Uh, Sturge Taylor. They've all kind of divergent yachting. Lots and lots of companies have gone and offset their their carbon footprint through this scheme. So I think it's fantastic. I love it when I see the yacht industry really look after environmental issues. And I think this year we've really seen. Um, we've mentioned some of the projects on air today, but we, you know, really, really seen companies step up and 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 look after the environment, whether that be like now air and sea. So fantastic news. Well done, Ed. Yeah. Well done. Great to see more uh, coming out and innovative and simple to do. And we wish him well and congratulations. He's been recently married and I believe currently on his honeymoon. Yes, I believe it is not an easy year to get married in in 2020. And they had a number of events that had to be postponed. So um, I wonder if he's many carbon offset in his honeymoon. He is. Yep. Is he? Absolutely. God, what a guy. Indeed. <laughs> Anyway, well done to him. Green Wings Challenge. Check it out. And to finish off the crew mess this week, uh, I'd like to head down to Australia. Uh, One of the lovely guests we had last year was from uh, citizens of uh, Great Barrier Reef. Reef. Uh, Thanks to an introduction from the wonderful Joanne Drake, who runs the Supiot Group Great Barrier Reef. And... Um, it is called the Great Reef Census. They've been they've been trying to uh, working the past couple of years of getting more and more people involved in basically surveying the the reef, and because it's massive, you know, it's two thousand three hundred kilometers to cover, and 
what better way than to try and bring in some of the supiots who are down there? Um, the size of the reef is not the only reason why the Great Reef Census is so important. Uh, scientists estimate up to 40% of the reef remains unsurveyed. So and Andy Ridley, who's we chatted to last year, who's the CEO of Citizens of the Great Barrier Reef, um, really felt that Rialt had a really special role to play in it. And if they could utilize the resources and the crew and the tenders and the communications, it would just so help along this project. And they've, they've really been steaming ahead with this. Um, I just saw up on Facebook, thanks to um, Joanne letting me know, that uh, they've just come back from a few days on Ocean Alliance's Beluga. And uh, they had a great time surveying the reefs between Lizard Island, where Andy Lewis is, I believe, and Port Douglas. Mm -hmm. And it was an incredible trip watching pilot whales bow, bow riding, bow riding, bow riding, bow riding. <laughs> and, um, you know, just showing kind of you're very posh, the effect of collaboration mm -hmm. and that it can really help to mobilize a whole diverse range of people and boats across science and tourism and local communities. And it has made a really big difference. The more people that they can get involved in this, the better. So um, I just, I love this project. I think it's amazing. And they could, I'm just reading about it here that just all you need to be is a competent snorkeler with a camera mm -hmm. and you can be involved in this, which is amazing. So just, you know, obviously crew and research, but also tourists, they can get in there and, and help to really find out more information about this incredible reef. And it's, it's any floating thing. I mean, they've, they've had ferries get involved, uh, dive boats, um, you know, big, large, small, it's not, not just super yachts and mega yachts. It's, Anything that floats can, um, can get involved. And, and apparently from next month, they're also going to be recruiting citizen scientists. So you don't even have to be on the reef. No. You could be in another part of the world. That's going to be amazing. And also, do you know, to be able to survey it and see where it is now, because, you know, I, I've watched quite a bit about corals. I've learned a lot from Andy Lewis, who runs the Coral Sea Foundation. And, you know, a lot of it is they need to be able to see... Um, what's happening all over the reef to be able to see the changes, you know, in essence. And without that information on such a massive, massive scale, it can be very difficult to monitor what's happening. Yeah, you need a benchmark. Know where you are, see where you're going. So a wonderful example of collaboration. And uh, well done to them all for, you know, pulling this together. They've been going quite a few years. I know that they have been building up momentum but it's very cool to see that they're kind of getting out there onto the into the super yacht industry as well mm -hmm. and well, wonderful any more um information about our oceans as much as we can get and everyone getting involved with that's wonderful indeed indeed on that positive note um i'd like to thank you for joining us today in the crew mess of course uh thank my co-hosts uh, the wonderful lucy and of course maeve and uh, we look forward to being with you next week. And if you have mess. any, whatever sector you're in, in the Supiot world, if you have anything interesting or news coming up, please get in touch with us. We always love to hear from everyone. Mm -hmm. We've uh, just celebrated our three-year anniversary of being on air and on app and on podcast and uh, stretching out to an average of about 110, 115 countries a month. So thank you for the messages we get in. 
Right. And don't forget our 55 plus thousand listeners every month. Indeed. But I, 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 I love that. But every now and then I have to say I am tickled because I'll get a message from, and it's not Super Yacht World, but I'll get a message from someone in recently who was from Uganda. And when yeah. you get the slightly more offbeat places. Well, it, the key destinations. Not a key destination. And, you know, the majority of our listeners are med, US, Oceana. But every now and then when you get one of those out, you think, isn't this, I mean, this is where radio and, and being online is fantastic because you can just stretch out around the world and i have to say i get a tickle out of that well enjoy your tickle until next week <laughs> <laughs> until next week and uh i'm glad i'm stopping there um thanks again for being with us this is the um, thank you as always lucy for joining us it's always always good to fun speak show, to you guys. my dear yeah fantastic lovely to speak to you i'll speak to you next week i hope Fantastic. Speak to you next week. Take care of yourselves. This is Super Yacht Radio. You are listening to Super Yacht Radio.